This is Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! With the voice of Vegas, your host, RJ Bell. Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. Here's Bernie Fratto. Well, in our complex world, there are objective truths, there are personal feelings, and as I say each week, our job tonight and every night is to make sure you do not confuse the two. You know, we don't have royalty in this country. Our athletes are royalty, and that is why I'm really enjoying Super Wild Card Weekend. On that note, I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. And tonight, we're going to open up by ranking the Super Bowl hopefuls and their chances to win. Two have been eliminated today, and I'll tell you where I had them ranked in the first place. This morning, there were 14. Now we're down to 12. In about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Larry Sorensen, 10-year major leaguer, 30 years in the broadcast booth. He knows a thing or two about Major League Baseball CBA negotiations. And, yes, they're back in the news. They actually had a meeting Thursday, if you can call it that. I've been telling everybody this for 20 months now. This is going to get ugly. Just wait. You'll see. We'll have Larry on to talk about it. He was actually a player rep during his tenure in the major leagues and was part of a couple of work stoppages. After Brian Finley's update, we'll uh, follow up on the Jim Harbaugh saga. I want to debunk three myths that are untruths about Harbaugh that I keep hearing blowing in the wind across the airwaves from people. There are two types of people. Some people have to say something, and other people have something to say. And I will tell you what I'm hearing does not jive with the people I talk to in Ann Arbor. And I want to set the record straight on that. Uh, And then at the end of the show, I'm going to share the quarterbacks that have the best ATS records in the playoffs. Sports are entertainment, but they're more than that. They are shared experience as such people want to talk about them. You've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. This is Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. And as I say in Bemidji, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. I want to, by the way, I want to, what I want to do real quickly is, is throw a bit of a, or call an audible here, all right? Because what happened today in the Raiders game is very, very bothersome to me. There's actually an NFL rule book. And the NFL rule book spells out this rule so succinctly, you almost can't screw it up. And it basically talks about the fact that if any time during a game, there is an inadvertent or erroneous whistle, regardless of its happens at the beginning of the play, the middle of the play, the end of the play. The play is blown dead. It's over. Good night, Irene. Move on. That play didn't exist. And so when senior VP of NFL official Walt Anderson elected not to correct the NFL officials who got together, put their heads together, made a rock pile, and decided that, oh, well, the whistle was blown after the receiver caught the ball, when anybody with eyes and ears can clearly see that was not the case, and it was a BS explanation anyway, and I'll repeat myself, the rules for anybody to find, anybody can find it, that any erroneous or inadvertent whistle blown during a play, the play is dead. It's over. So the Raiders have a beef. Now, that's not to say Joe Burrow wouldn't have thrown a touchdown on the next play. It's not to say Cincinnati still wouldn't have won. But in, in what keeps happening, this recurring theme of – of questionable officiating really is incredibly bothersome to me. And I just don't understand why we're not better. Why are we not better? Uh, We have, you know, all all of the proclivities and attributes to get this right. And yet they don't get it right. And it just, 
I find it bothersome. So I just I wanted to get that off my chest and get it out of the way and so we can move on, I suppose. But again, I don't it's not something that I, I, I think that casts the NFL in a very in a very favorable light. All right. There are fourteen teams that woke up this morning that, you know, have designs on getting to the Super Bowl. Well, now there are only twelve. Now, in case you're wondering, uh, the Raiders, okay, the, the aforementioned Raiders, they're one of the teams uh, that, that got eliminated today. Uh, I had them basically ranked, let's see, where did I have the Raiders ranked? I'm 13th, actually. Steelers, I got 14th. But the Raiders, look, give it up to Derek Carr, give it up to Ritz Passaccia, the whole gang. They never quit. Uh, they're, they're a steady group. Uh, they're kind of an ugly group, but they're a resilient gritty gutty group and they kind of are reminiscent of the Raiders of old and just that they never give up they had incredible what I consider to be uh competitive stamina but it just was not in the cards and and they they held up reasonably on defense but for the most part uh, they were their own uh worst enemy today and so let's move through these quickly because the Packers won't play this weekend but look they're clearly my number one team uh, that I have ranked to get to the Super Bowl. They have an MVP under center, and it's even better than that. Even if Aaron Rodgers doesn't actually win the MVP for the second straight year, the dude is the smoothest, most confident quarterback in the game right now. And while he and Matt LaFleur have, haven't gotten past the NFC title game yet, their track record is better than anybody else when you put those two together in this tournament. And I don't see who can go into Green Bay this year and beat them. And although I have the Buccaneers, I had them ranked second, and you know, because they're in the NFC. The only reason they're not up top is because their depth concerns me now. In their secondary and then and in their receiver core, their defense has been somewhat vulnerable. But I, I think they handle Philadelphia tomorrow because Philadelphia's a run first team. Uh, but let's face reality: Tom Brady's presence alone ensures they're going to be right there. But I don't think that they beat Green Bay in Green Bay this year for the simple reason that when they did it last year, the Bucs did it last year, they were healthy. They're a little bit depleted this year, and that is going to matter. The number three team and the number one team in the AFC, sorry, I'm taking the Titans. They just don't die, man, as Mike Vrabel would say. Uh, Ryan Tannehill's going to need to step it up a bit with a career moment at you know once or twice if they're going to go the distance, but Derek Henry's returning, A.J. Brown is back. Their defense is is better now. It'll be better after, than it was after after week eighteen. Look, wasn't that long ago they went into Kansas City and they were they were thumping on them and they couldn't they couldn't close the deal. But remember, they get that game at home this year and the Chiefs have looked human. Although I do have the Chiefs ranked slightly behind Tennessee again. So there, if you're reading my tea leaves, I've got Tennessee and Green Bay in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are going to be a tough out. Uh, they'll they should handle Pittsburgh tomorrow. They will go home then, and they would play. Uh, they would get to play Buffalo at home in Kansas City. And Tennessee will host Cincinnati next week. And Fezzik and I are going to talk about that game at length in about an hour. But uh, it's it presumes it would presume to me that Tennessee handles Cincinnati. And I don't know if Buffalo has it in their DNA to go in and beat Kansas City in Kansas City. Are they good enough? Absolutely. Absolutely. They just have to know they're good enough. I, I just think they're freaked out by the uniform for some reason. Like Casey Stengel used to say, when teams play the Yankees, they get uh, psyched out watching the pinstripes. 
Uh, the Bills, look, it's all about getting hot at the right time. I talked about this. Somebody on Twitter asked me if I asked, you know, how I thought they'd do this week. And I said, it's all about being hot at the right time. They were averaging, you know, they won their last four. They've, they're averaging 27 points a game. You, you, you see what they did tonight? When Buffalo brings their best, they can beat anybody, all right? The Bengals, could they break up the party? Uh, you know, I would say you can no longer say neither Joe Burrow nor Zach Taylor have playoff experience because he won a game today. And so you don't, but you don't know when you can really trust when the heat gets hot and it's hard to breathe. It's going to be a little different animal down in Tennessee. But now the pressure is off a little bit. And more importantly, Burrow and Jamar Chase, uh, they are so explosive, you really can't count that team out. All right, right behind them, I have the Cowboys. When they're on, they're about as balanced and explosive as anyone. Uh, but I know, what, what do they pundits say? They've beaten up on Washington and Eagles backups and Dak Prescott and their old line. They always need to be in tip-top form if they want to make some real noise. And I know the 49ers have become this incredible, trendy pick all of a sudden this week. And the reason I use that word is because a week ago today, the Niners weren't even in the playoffs. Then all of a sudden, they were down 17 nothing. Then they come back and beat the Rams, courtesy of Matt Stafford's mistakes. You know, you can make those stakes against Minnesota and Baltimore. You can make those stakes against East Carolina. Can't make them against San Francisco. Now, all of a sudden, San Francisco is riding high and mighty into Dallas. Uh, I don't, I, I'm dubious about that game. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game because San Fran's going to be run first. And, and I have San Fran actually ranked about 10th. The, you know, I really like Jimmy G a lot, but the man has a ceiling. But he showed up and showed out last week. More importantly, Kyle Shanahan is a very cagey coach, and if his ground game is clicking and they can control the ball against Dallas, they win. But if Jimmy G just turns the ball over once, I think they have to play a perfect game. He's got If he turns the ball over once, all, all bets are off. The Patriots got eliminated today. I don't know why people got to ride Bill Belichick like a rented mule. He put this team together. They didn't have any weapons. Mac Jones is going to be just fine. They had a rookie quarterback to start the season, and they ended up in the playoffs, and they ran into a hell of a buzzsaw tonight. I would say if the Pats draft well and get some weapons, uh, they're going to be right back in the mix next year. So give them a lot of credit. Uh, Who have I left out? All right. I left out, obviously, the Steelers. Look, the Steelers, out of my 14 teams, ranked 14th. Ben Roethlisberger made a bit of a joke about it today, but this is right where they want to be. They want to be overlooked, but they do deserve credit for fighting and winning, and even if they win ugly. Uh, T.J. Watt and that defense should have their moments tomorrow. Would not surprise me if 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 Pittsburgh hangs right around that number. I know they lost, what, 36-10 to 10 about a month ago. Pittsburgh turned the ball over three times in that game, and Kansas City never turned it over once. So throw that game out, and you got Big Ben for all of his grit. He's he's just a he's like Frankenstein. He won't go away. Um, the Steelers end up nine and seven. Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record. The Chiefs aren't exactly a cover machine. Having said all that, I would just say this: uh, I, I don't see a path for Pittsburgh to win that game unless Mahomes and company turn the ball over at least three times and Pittsburgh plays a perfect game. Uh, I haven't really mentioned the Eagles, uh, although I do think they get handled by uh, Tampa Bay tomorrow or later today. I, I look, you don't know how J, Jalen Hurts is going to react if he has to step up as a passer tomorrow against what you call what I call an elite team. Uh, we know that the Eagles are a run, run, run team. They RPO. Jalen Hurts has run for 784 yards this year, and actually for their run game to flourish, Jalen 
Hurts has to flourish, but if they put him in a vice, they stop the run and force him to operate from the pocket. I got the Eagles ranked 12th in this tournament. I give Jalen Hurts a ton of credit. He's shown growth, improvement. Uh, Nick Sirianni has employed him very wisely as the cog of the ground game. But And I do think the Eagles will be feisty tomorrow. They're just under man. They're 0-6, by the way, this year against playoff teams. By the way, how, how did I not mention the Cardinals? They started out 7-0. and They've been 4-6 and in the last 10. Look, the, as long as I covered the Lions in the NFL and such, the playoffs are an entirely, entirely different animal. And they have enough talent. Uh, they've been without DeAndre Hopkins for a while. Uh, the Rams are not good against – they're, I think, 2-5 and five against the spread against teams who finished above 500 this year. Of their, of their 12 wins, only three were against above 500 teams. Uh their talent and the way they started, the Cardinals now I'm talking about, you know, 2021, suggest they should be higher, but they scuffled down the stretch, and Kyler Murray had some clunkers, and, and Cliff uh, Kingsbury's track record is, is well, he doesn't have one at this point in the year. And in the last five, they're one and four. That's not good. Would not surprise me if the Rams won Monday. It's the one game I haven't bet. It's the one game I haven't bet because – uh, if I had, you know, of course, if I had a gun to my head, I would take the, I would have taken the four points. I think it'll be back to four by by Monday. But the bottom line is this: uh, this is going to be a game that I actually think has more to do with the Rams' defense. Although, again, it's it, it's it's a referendum on Matt Stafford, and we're going to talk about this later in the show. But they've got to keep Kyler Murray in check. If he gets loose in the secondary, it's going to be a problem. And I think they're going to turn him loose. Cliff Kingsbury said he's been waiting for this his entire life. So guys like Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald, they're going to have to keep him surrounded. And that's not how they play. They're going to try to hit him and knock him out. And that's where he's the most dangerous. So uh, the key to Arizona winning is if they get into the red zone, they're going to have to finish drives in the red zone. The first seven weeks of the year, they were 80%. The last few weeks they've been terrible in the red zone beyond that uh i just get a funny feeling something unforeseen could happen in this game that could decide the game so there you have it i like green bay and tennessee to get to the super bowl the rest are details coming up all right spring training is around the corner but the spring training is not going to start on on time major league baseball uh, and the players union, they do not have a collective bargaining agreement right now. And the reason the owners locked them out is because they're not going to take a chance at what happened back in 94. And MLB submitted a proposal to the Players Association Thursday. And I will tell you, the players were not happy with it. You can say they're talking and it's a start, but it's a bad start. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Larry Sorensen, 10-year major leaguer, knows a thing or two about these things and very connected 25 years in the broadcast booth. So you don't want to miss this conversation. I'm Bernie Frado. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. Don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! The great Bernie Frado, folks. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Mike check. Mike check. If you want exclusive insight from the biggest names in the sports game, what's good? This is national champion and former pro baller Chris Johnson. And let me tell you a little bit about my new series, KJ Live. KJ Live is the only show featuring me going one on one with the brightest basketball minds on the planet to get the real. And when I say real, 
I mean that real. I got legendary Hall of Famers, elite coaches, and the top basketball insiders bringing you a unique perspective on all things hoops culture that you will not find anywhere else. So make your next move your best move and tap in with me on KJ Live wherever you get your podcast from. We're back on Straight Out of Vegas. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Let's get right to our guest, 10-year major leaguer, 25 years in the broadcast booth, knows a thing or two about Major League Baseball and collective bargaining agreement negotiations. Uh, let's say hello to Larry Sorensen. Larry, weren't you a player rep, by the way, back in the day? I was, as a matter of fact, in Milwaukee. I was the alternate and uh, under Buck Martinez, who had a big role in the player in uh, – the union and owners' negotiations for a long, long time. Now is the president of BAT, the baseball assistance team. Mm. So he's still helping out players and uh, learned a lot from him about the entire negotiation process and always follow it closely. Yes, you do. And I'm glad to have you on tonight because they had a meeting Thursday, if you want to call us that. I thought your tweet was very revealing. You liken the fact that the players turned down this first offer like politics, that People turn down the offer just because it's the other side. And that speaks to the contentiousness that's there, Larry. Please uh, take take that subject and run with it, because I don't think these sides like each other. Well, they don't, and it's sad that it's come to that. You know, there's always a certain amount of friction between labor and management. Always has been, always will be, no matter what the occupation. You know, it's just so much more visible with sports, as it is in politics. And, and we're at a point right now where... Uh, everybody seems to feel the other side just can't be right. And we've lost somehow the art of negotiation where I'll give a little bit if you'll give a little bit. And if you don't agree on, on this particular subject, we'll give you a little bit more on that other part of the equation. And, and let's find a way to compromise with each other and get something done. And uh, we see it in politics so so heavily now. You know, it's, it's wrong just because the other side suggested it, regardless exactly. of the merits of their case or anything else. We're saying it's wrong from the get-go regardless, and that's just not right. Talking with Larry Sorensen, 10-year major leaguer, 25 years in the broadcast booth, player rep with the Milwaukee Brewers, knows a thing or two about work stoppages. Larry, we had labor peace for 22 years, but after the 2016 CBA, players muttered, we're going to win the next one. Tell the folks what you believe the biggest sticking points are, and it's my understanding they're very far apart. Well, they are a part. The good news is is that they sat down to talk because half the time that's the battle. Is let's find out what the key issues are for each side, as you said. And I know from, from a player, you know, first and foremost, Bernie, players are competitive. You know, when you go out on the field, you want to win. That's, that's why you're going out there. And so when the players see situations where they feel the owners aren't using the best players or they're restricting players' ability to put the best uh, team on the field, that hurts because, as you know, as, you, as everybody says all the time, that loss in April hurts just as much as that loss in September does. It doesn't seem like it because you played 148-day games to get to September, but that bad loss early in April hurts you just as badly in the long run. So when you see great players – that everybody knows are the best player in the organization at their position that is kept in the minor leagues because the owners want to manipulate, uh, the team wants mm. to manipulate their service time mm-hmm. so that they can have them longer at, at free agency on the end. It means that you're not playing with your best team on the field. When you see salaries being negotiated and, uh, and you have the salary cap and, and players are not being paid accordingly because – 
they know that it'll put them over the cap. You know, players want to have that competitive balance even at all times and try to put the best team on the field every single day. Spot on. Uh, we saw that happened uh, with Chris Bryant with the Cubs back in 2015. Oh, yeah. So, Larry, I knew you back in 94 when the World Series got canceled. Baseball was a $1 billion industry. Now it's an $11 billion industry. The point is the econometric model is working. Everybody's making money except the players can prove the players can prove that salaries have not risen commensurate with revenues and the owners are pulling a fast one. Who blinks first in this negotiation? Well, it's so interesting because it all – and, you know, obviously I look at it from the player's side, but it seems like – the owners always have the better PR machine going. And when you try to tell people that, uh, yes, the, the revenue is going up, the owners are getting more of it, people are okay with that because they think making $40 million a year or $30 million a year to play baseball just doesn't seem right to them because they played when they were a kid. So they're okay <laughs> with the fact that they're okay with the fact that there's more money being made. And I get that the owners are the ones that own the teams and are taking the risk. But again, when you've negotiated something, just keep the percentages the same and let everybody move up at the same kind of rate. And I think that the players would accept those kinds of changes. Million percent. And uh, again, the, the game must be working, or it couldn't have got to an eleven billion dollar game from one billion dollars. Uh, Deep down, Larry, do you think the owners still want a salary cap? Well, they have some kind of a salary cap with the uh, with the tax that they have, and they proposed changes to that. They went up from. Uh, I think I believe the first off of the reported numbers, they went from $210 million uh, with a payroll ta- cap to $214 million, and that'll be something that they can talk about, and that's where you give a little bit. Um, I, I think that the owners just want to t- – you know, it's hard to say exactly what their biggest wants are. The, the biggest thing the players want is everything to be competitive all the time, and the idea of restricting players, not going after players – and saying that you can't afford it, but still showing profits just doesn't sit well. So there are a whole host of things, minimum salaries, draft tweaks, arbitration changes, service time manipulation, a competitive balance tax. These are all items on the table. They're, they're miles apart. Got to put a gun to your head, pal. Does the season start on time? Oh, I'm already man. on record. I'm already on record saying spring <laughs> training will not start. And I, I know there's I no way to know. can find a way... I think that they can find a way to shorten spring training. I really do because the main reason that you have spring training so long is so that you can get your pitching staff in shape and ready to be uh, ready to go at the point that you want. And it used to be with a starting pitcher that you expected to give you 250 innings. It took them six weeks to get their arm in shape. Well, this these days players are going year round anyway. You know they're throwing. They're basically ready when they come into spring training. So I think spring training can safely be shortened by at least mm. two weeks. And you can still have players ready to go. Whether that's enough impetus to force them to negotiate to, uh, and how much time can you lose safely before you start the season is the question that you have to solve. Yeah, absolutely. Baseball can uh, shorten spring training and still start on time. You're spot on. Uh, I'm told if we get a deal by March 10th, there's games start March 31st this year. So they get a deal by March 10th. Uh, they can start the season on time. Larry, before I let you run, bring us up to date on Pitch Logic, a project you've been involved with for, with years, and it's revolutionizing how young players train. Well, it really is. We just got back from the ABCA convention, which is the American Baseball Coaches Association, and they had about 5,500 coaches there 
uh, and all kinds of great awards given out and uh, people walking through the trade exhibition. And what Pitch Logic is a baseball that has a circuit board inside with sensors on it that allows you to see all the different spin rates and arm slot and capture your video and edited, edited clips. And, uh, and measure all the measurables that uh, the pitchers are using in the game today. And it's a part of the game, and it's here to stay. And it can be used by kids, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. We've got major leaguers that use it. I got a call last spring in panic from uh, one, of, one of our major league pitchers that was going to spring training early, and he'd lost his ball, and uh, we had to overnight one to him. So <laughs> it's, it's just inside a baseball, connects by Bluetooth to your telephone. Uh, retails about $299, but it gives you all the spin uh, data that uh, every current player is looking for these days to make themselves a little bit better. Bro- broke out a scoring system so it evaluates your pitch, puts a number on it, and tells you a little bit about how to improve it. Larry, great stuff as always. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for staying up late, and good luck with Wake Forest baseball this year. Well, it'll be fun. Wake Forest, by the way, sent one of those baseballs home with every one of its pitchers at uh, Christmas break so that they could have a look at what their players were doing while they were while they were at home during the Christmas break. And let's let's keep our fingers crossed, Bernie. I was I was a broadcaster after that '94 um, issue right. and in '95 in spring training with replacement players. Yep. We do not. We do not want to get to that point again. That's for sure. No, very very true. That's a whole different conversation. Larry, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Anytime, Bernie. All right, that's Larry Sorensen, 10-year major leaguer, 25-year broadcaster. And I remember Larry was broadcasting the Tigers back then, and when the replacement players came in, it created a, a, a chasm between Sparky Anderson and the Tigers that never got repaired because he refused to manage the replacement players. But And someday I'll tell that story because as we get closer to spring training, I'm telling you this is going to get even uglier and uglier. People just aren't paying attention because football's in right now, and they're thinking, well, there's too much money involved. They'll get this thing figured out. No, don't be so sure. I've seen how stubborn they can be. All right, coming up, speaking of stubborn, people got their opinions about Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. I want to set the record straight on some myths that are going around that aren't exactly accurate. But first, let's go to the man. His update is so impactful. You might want to know that in the unlikely event of a water landing, (laughs) his update becomes a flotation device. Say hello to Brian Finley with the latest. Bernie, that has to be your best intro into an update I've ever heard. Well said. (laughs) And now you set the ball really high. So I'm going to continue to monitor how you write those because that one was certainly at the top. So here's where we start. We had a ton of NFL action from Saturday, but this ongoing tug of war between tennis world number one Novak Djokovic and the country of Australia seemingly has come to a resolution, and that is no Novak for the Aussie Open, which is supposed to take place starting on Monday. Now, this is all after three judges with the Australian Federal Court shot down Djokovic's appeal for a visa. Djokovic had attempted to overturn his canceled visa, but the country will not let him in. They're deporting him because he did not get the COVID jab, and the nine-time Australian Open champ is now not going to be able to participate in this and he learns about this a day before the event starts. As far as the NFL, the Bills, they manhandled the Patriots 47-17. Bills quarterback Josh Allen had five touchdown tosses. Buffalo did not punt the ball once. They did not turn it over as well. And after the game, New England head coach Bill Belichick mumbles. Congratulate Buffalo on the win tonight. They did a great job. We just couldn't keep up with them tonight. Just couldn't do much anything. 
And with that, the Raiders could not keep up with the Bengals as we look through wildcard playoff action from this weekend. 26-19, since he wins, as like you haven't heard this before, yeah, they erase a 31-year playoff winning drought. That is, they haven't won a playoff game since 1991. In Las Vegas quarterback Derek Carr was picked at the end of the game at the goal line. And how about Cincy kicker Evan McPherson? He made four of four field goals, and Cincinnati scored two touchdowns in five red zone trips as far as quickly in the NBA just a couple notes here the Mavericks overcome the magic 108 to 92 Nikola Jokic 23 points the Nuggets stick it to the Lakers 133 to 96 Nikola Jokic clowning on that LA defense he had a triple double the Clippers falter on the road to the Spurs the Celtics get the job done against the Bulls 114 to 112 Chicago has lost three in a row and Zach Levine did not make the trip for this one as he served Certainly is dealing with that injury to his left knee and also an injury to the knee of Kevin Durant. He's going to have an MRI on Sunday morning. He came out of the Nets game on Saturday early. 120 to 105. Brooklyn did get the job done against the Pelicans and Brooklyn is now 27 and 15 on the air. With that, let's get it back to our man in Las Vegas. I wouldn't be mistaken Bernie if we might have an NBA team in Las Vegas in a couple years so you're, you're probably coming up next your location we shall see okay thanks Brian appreciate it all right back to Harbaugh now look first of all I'm on record I've been on record you can read my tweets 90% he's not going anywhere he's staying at Michigan uh the tea leaves the echo chamber the group think people weigh in and they want to give their opinions they want to make their predictions if you are looking for tea leaves, there were a few this last week. Um, first of all, he made a major hire. He hired a defensive line coach by the name of Mike Elster, uh, who came over from Notre Dame, former Michigan guy. Uh, if that looks like a guy, you know, that's coming from a guy who's leaving, well, th- that's your opinion. Uh, Jim Harbaugh gets a courtesy car from a local dealership every year there in Ann Arbor, and this past week he exchanged his new one for or the old one for a new one. So again, if that looks like a guy who's leaving, well, uh, you know, fair enough. A couple things I want to say uh, that people have said, most likely who never have met Jim Harbaugh, said, well, this isn't the college football landscape that he signed up for. This portal stuff, this is crazy. I don't like any of this. That's not true. Jim Harbaugh, two years ago, when asked to comment about the portal, was very candid. He said, I think it's a great idea. Give players an opportunity one time to move on. Maybe they they enroll in a school and it's just not working out. It wasn't what they thought. Whatever the reason was, no questions asked. Allow them one time to transfer without any, uh, you know, uh, without any penalty and not having to redshirt, and it's good for the game. It's good for the players. It, you know, it's not a bad thing. So whoever said Harbaugh was against the portal, they're wrong. Whoever said Harbaugh was against NIL, they're wrong as well. Uh, people say, well, this isn't a, you know, the, the game Harbaugh signed up for. It's just not true. Harbaugh's done a lot of outside-the-box things in his coaching tenure at Michigan. Uh, years ago, he was holding satellite camps down in SEC country, took some heat over it, but it was very clever. Uh, he took his team to Italy one year. He took his team to South Africa one year. Uh, he's done some outside-the-box things like that. Spends the night. It recruits houses, even a kicker's house once. Climbed tree houses. He's not exactly, you know, the, the robot stiff that some you folks make him out to be. And he didn't get to where he got in this you know, position in life without being pliable. 
So whoever said he didn't like the portable NIL, not true. By the way, Michigan is very quietly assembling their own NIL department and they're creating executive positions, I believe is what I've been heard. And so they're going to be a player in this NIL thing. I don't know to the degree Texas A&M is, but you get the picture. They're not a bunch of dummies there at Michigan. They're going to figure this out as well. People also like to say, well, he's really bitter about the pay cut he had to take. And so uh, he's angry and he wants to, you know, extract his pound of flesh with Michigan. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, he's the his boss, Ward Manuel, who's the athletic director at Michigan. They're friends. They're not just uh, boss employee relationship. They're friends. And they played together for Michigan on the football team in the mid 80s uh, under Bo Schembechler. So the long and the short of it is uh, many of these things that people banny about just simply aren't true. And I know that Michigan has had a very lucrative contract on the table for about a week. And I'm, I'm, I, think, I think there's some consternation that Harbaugh hasn't signed it yet. But I, I don't see a lot of evidence that he's not going to sign. He was down in Houston this past week with his family, enjoying some time off. They're <coughs> at the, uh, Nick Sa- or the uh, Bear Bryant Awards. It was televised, kind of a kind of a cool deal. And tell me how many NFL teams you are seeing that are, have that have asked Harbaugh to interview. I haven't seen the Dolphins do it. Now the Raiders may do it. I don't know. They're, you know, it's, that's never been an automatic thing. The Raiders are going to cast a wide net. They're going to follow the Rooney Rule. They've said quite candidly they're never going to handpick a coach just out of you know like they did with Gruden or give anybody that kind of megalomaniacal power again. The Chicago Bears is also a fan favorite, and while it's true. The McCaskey family likes Jim Harbaugh. They, he's like a son to them. Uh, the Bears are interviewing Leslie Frazier, Brian Flores, Todd Bowles, Brian Dable, Matt Eberflus, and Doug Peterson. I don't see Harbaugh's name there. So at the end of the day, I'm sticking to my 90%. It may not be solved by this Saturday next time, but I think within two weeks this thing will be done and Harbaugh will be back in Michigan. I'm told he even hit the recruiting trail again today. So... If you want to read the tea leaves, it looks to me like he's staying. I'm sticking with my 90 percenter. And to those folks who thinks Harbaugh thumbs his nose at the portal and NIL and is bitter over the pay cut, which is going to be more than restored, by the way. That's done. That's history. Um, I think that, you know, there isn't really a lot of evidence to support some of these opinions that we're hearing on the airways. But, you know, thanks for weighing in. I get it. People have... To things they want to say, whether or not they're they're accurate or not, and time will tell. If if Harbaugh ends up leaving, I'll eat my words. A ten percenter can come in. I've just been steadfast in saying it's not, and that's ninety percent. Harbaugh returns to Michigan. The wild card super super wild card weekend NFL playoffs resume tomorrow. You got a triple header tomorrow, and then a big game on Monday. Which quarterbacks have the best record against the spread? in their history in the playoffs. I'll tell you, coming up next, I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. It's the pregame show you always wanted, so don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! One of the best in the business, Bernie Fratto. Well, we're back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles. Brian Fenley on the updates, Chris Perfett, and Bo Benson turning all the dials, keeping us glued together. And they'll be with me all the way up through 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern, as we get you ready 
for the remainder of Super Wildcard Weekend, that among other things. <clears throat> so there's a little thing you may have heard of called the point spread, and some quarterbacks do better than others when the playoffs start. Now, prior to today, Mac Jones had no history. He's now 0-1 against the spread in the playoffs. Don't know that it's his fault. Then played defense, and by the way, didn't exactly have a lot of weapons to throw to. Jalen Hurts will get his bite at the apple uh, later on today. Same with Kyler Murray on Monday. Joe Burrow now is sparkling 1-0 against the spread in the playoffs. And then, of course, uh, Derek Carr, uh, he's now 0-1. So, it'll be interesting because tomorrow will be a reckoning for certain players. Dak Prescott, for all of his abilities and ceiling and things he does well, He's 0-3. Dak Prescott is 0-3 against the spread during the playoffs. He'll be laying three to against the uh, Dallas. Check that against the San Francisco 49ers. Um, now he has won a playoff game. He's one and two in his career, but only but he's 0-3 uh, against the spread. Inter- an interesting game uh, to see if San Francisco can turn Dak over because San Fran is five and zero when they win the turnover battle this year. And San Francisco's 12-8 and as an underdog, 14-6 and against the spread in their last 20 games with a point differential of plus 57. So <clears throat> it's not going to be easy duty for Dak Prescott. On the other side of the ball, Jimmy Garoppolo, who plays, I'll tell you what, he's got a different gear when it matters most. He is 2-1 and against the number and came oh so close to winning a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers, now he doesn't play until next week. Rodgers, 12-7-1 against the number in his 20 playoff games. But I'll tell you who does play tomorrow, and that, of course, is Ben Roethlisberger, who in his 22 career playoff starts, he's 11-9-2 against the spread. Uh, Interestingly enough, you may find this interesting, that double-digit favorites in the wild-card round are 5-0 and against the spread since 2005. doesn't happen that often. So, look, uh, Big Ben, he, this has got to be a swan song. I don't think he has much left in the tank. But he's. I think the Steelers have a chance of covering that number. You shouldn't have chased it to 12.5. You could have got it 13.5 a, a week ago. I'm not sure where the money comes in uh, before game time, but... That back door is always going to stay open. Pittsburgh's got something in their in their DNA. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, Patrick Mahomes is a, is a, is a very respectable five and three against the spread. And the, the truth of the matter is, I'm always in awe of Mike Tomlin's ability to get the most out of the Steelers every season. They're still a reasonably tough defensive squad. They got a quarterback who's moves like a tortoise now. He's got all the mobility of an upright vacuum cleaner. But the Steelers are in the playoffs. And when you get two National League football teams in the playoffs, usually you're going to have a competitive match. Could the Steelers win? Eh. They'd have to force Patrick Mahomes in all kinds of mistakes and get the Chiefs' turnover offense to return. And I know that they played a little less than a month ago, and the Chiefs won 36-10, and it felt like 65-10. to But the Chiefs had no turnovers that day, and the Steelers had three. So... I would say that, uh, you know, that's a flip of the coin on who covers. But both quarterbacks are above 500 against the spread. 
and their playoff lives. Ben, of course, with 22 playoff starts, Patrick Mahomes with eight in his young career. Very impressive five playoff wins in his young career already. Tom Brady uh, tees it up against Philadelphia tomorrow. He's 22-20 and 20 against the spread. Part of the reason is you pay a Brady tax. They're not laying eight and a half. I just think Philly wins that game by 10. I explained why earlier, and we'll get into it with Steve Fezzik here in about oh, about 20 minutes. But the long and the short of it is Philly is an RPO team. I don't expect them to run the ball that well. They'll put uh, Jalen Hurts in a vice. He's not a major league quarterback when it comes to only operating from the pocket. Uh, although I love the guy, and he deserves all of his success. I just think they run into a buzzsaw tomorrow, and Tampa Bay handles Philadelphia, and they score their points. Ryan Tannehill, I, I love this Tennessee team. They got a week off. He's 2-2 two and two against the spread. Uh, and uh, it looks like they'll be hosting Cincinnati. We'll have more on that game next week. Josh Allen, after tonight, he's now 2-3 and three against the number. Uh, did so uh, very impressively. So there you have it. Uh, look, quarterback is, is an incredibly important position in the, uh, in the NFL because in addition to being your field general and you set the tone with your presence, I, I've always said this, games come down to about five plays. And you, you want your quarterback to be on the right side of those five plays. Case in point, Derek Carr tonight. And I'm not going to bash Derek Carr. But spiking the ball at the end, costing himself a play, getting strip sacked earlier in the game, those things didn't help. And that's why Derek Carr is now 0-1, and they'll be looking to next year. We'll be talking about that later in the show. All right, coming up, we have got a ton to get to in the next three hours, so stick with us. This is Bernie Fratto, straight out of Vegas, coming up, Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sport Radio. Keep it locked right here. Straight out of Vegas! Vegas! 